Hello and welcome to The Coping Toolbox, a child psychology podcast hosted by clinical psychologists Dr. Layla Din Osman, Dr. Mary Simmering McDonald, and Dr. Jennifer Rend. We hope that this podcast helps parents, children, and teens learn new coping skills in dealing with their stress and anxiety and to help strengthen relationships in their lives. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Coping Toolbox, a child psych podcast. I'm Dr. Mary Simmering McDonald, and I'm very excited to be joined by Dr. Marina Heifetz for two episodes focusing on mindfulness. Dr. Marina is currently a child and adolescent psychologist and the director of child and family services at York Region CBT in Vaughan, Ontario. She received her PhD in clinical developmental psychology from York University, and her postdoctorate work was with the Neurodevelopmental Research Department at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. She has published and presented various research papers on topics of healthy relationships, mindfulness, developmental disabilities, parenting, and mental health. Dr. Marina is passionate about supporting families in their well-being and sharing mindfulness. She has taught mindfulness to local schools, clinics, and at the University of Toronto. So welcome, Dr. Marina. We are so pleased to have you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Mindfulness is such an exciting topic for me. Um, It's something that's near and dear to both my clinical practice as well as my own life. So I'm really looking forward to chatting about mindfulness today. You know, I was thinking that mindfulness is something that we often refer to without necessarily defining it. Um, so I would love to start out by asking if you'd be able to talk to us a little bit about what mindfulness actually is. Sure. Um, so I always go back to John Kabat-Zinn's definition of mindfulness. So John Kabat-Zinn, sort of the uh, father of mindfulness, he brought this uh, idea of mindfulness into the Western world. Um, and he defines mindfulness as paying attention in particular way on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. Um, And what I like about that definition is just that idea of being in the moment. We tend to sort of think a lot about the future, the past, but being present is really what mindfulness is about, being aware. Um, And Dr. Amy Saltzman, uh, who does research with uh, children and youth in mindfulness, actually added to this definition. And I really like the way she added, uh, you know, mindfulness is paying attention to your life here and now with kindness and curiosity and choosing your behavior. So it's a little bit of an expansion in addition of that kindness piece, which um, I think is so, so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll just finish the definition with one of my favorite quotes by John Kabat-Zinn, you can't change the waves, but you can learn to serve. Um, I really, really like this idea of, you know, whatever comes our way, you know, there's, you know, things that are out of our control, but we can learn to be resilient and to learn to cope with these things that come our way. Yeah, I really, really like those definitions. And yeah, the idea of staying present, doing so non-judgmentally, doing so with kindness, but also this idea that difficulty comes at us um, as a part of the human existence, as a part of life. And um, 
as opposed to trying to fight against that, learning to roll with it, learning to surf those waves. Exactly. For individuals who aren't familiar, why is mindfulness an important practice? Uh, it's a great question, and I'll try to sum it up as best I can. I, I get very passionate and get carried away about this idea. Um, but mindfulness, in short, helps us be present moment by moment. So by becoming more aware of our thoughts, feelings, body sensations, we can make more conscious choices and feel more in control. So it helps us cope with whatever stressors come our way, right? By just learning that we don't need to react to everything around us. We could choose what we focus on, what is important to us. So in short, it just, it helps us be more regulated and stay within our window of tolerance, what I like to say, right? So being able to uh, be mindful of what's going on for us. Makes a lot of sense because yeah. if we think about individuals, for example, who are experiencing anxiety, a lot of those anxieties exist about things that might happen in the future or possibly replaying a lot of what's happened in the past. So again, this idea of really consciously being present um, and, you know, kind of making those choices and being aware of those choices in the present moment, moment as opposed to being caught up with the before and after where we really don't have the same level of control. Yeah. And is mindfulness something that we're able to use as a coping tool? Yes. So <laughs> short answer, yes. But let me start by saying, you know, and I'll share a little bit of my personal experience with it, because I feel like during this pandemic, especially, I've been using a lot of mindfulness, right? Our world has become much smaller in a way, right? Um, for those of us that are parents, we're surrounded by, you know, children who are doing online learning, um, house chores, meals, right? And there's a sense of the sameness um, that happens for us each day. And so having mindfulness as tools for us, um, has helped for me personally build those moments throughout the day where I check in with myself and I respond to my own needs. And without that simple self-care routine, I'm not able to be at my best with my children. It's for me, this is how I've used this as a coping tool, but there's so many ways to use it formally and informally, right? So the biggest one I always go to is the breathing, which is seen as the foundation of mindfulness, right? So the idea of coming back to the breath can be very soothing, calming. It activates, you know, when we feel stress coming on, um, when we take those nice deep breaths, what it does is it activates our parasympathetic nervous system. So it helps our nervous system to just relax when we feel stress, right? Which is so, so important to just be yes. able to be in tune, right? Yes. Um, and I'll just say, you know, we can also practice, there's so many ways to practice mindfulness. Um, we can also practice, you know, just noticing our thoughts, right? And we have so many thoughts, especially right now, right? So many things going on. And so, you know, the idea, I always think to myself, thoughts are not facts, right? So the idea that we can just notice our thoughts, sort of like clouds moving across the sky, coming and going, but nothing we need to sort of struggle with or oppose, right? Um, I think that's where mindfulness can be really helpful because we can sort of step back and choose a time where we, you know, in our day even just intentionally to practice some of those skills and notice what's going on with our mind, with our body, um, and notice if we're feeling stressed, right? We're more able to pick up those cues when we practice these mindfulness skills. We're 
able to respond more rather than react. Yeah, that that makes so much sense. That awareness piece is such an important one, right? We can't um, make mindful choices without having the awareness of what's happening and, um, you know, that practice of being present. And I also like how you touched on, you know, looking after yourself as a parent in this way and finding these opportunities to be mindful um, as part of your day and, and trying to make that a priority that it's impactful for our children as well, that it's really important for them as well, because again, we're less reactive, just as you pointed out, and we're more conscious in the way that we're responding as opposed to having these um, reactions, as you described. Is practicing mindfulness something that's just beneficial for adults, for parents, or are there other age groups that can benefit as well? Great question. a short answer, every age group can benefit. Um, so I, my youngest right now is two years old and I've started from day one practicing mindfulness with her. And so we have, we have like a feelings chart in our kitchen and she'll go up to it and she'll say how she's feeling just as an example, right? So being able to practice that, to tune into how she's feeling already, and then to have those words to start explaining, you know, to start sharing what you're feeling and tuning in that way can be so, so powerful. Um, And what I've noticed working with families um, as a clinician from a clinical perspective as well is when mindfulness is most powerful is when it's used as a family, right? So <laughs> when parents are engaged, right, and parents are modeling these mindfulness skills, we know, you know, parents' relation with children can impact that mental health quite a bit, right? Um, and it really connects the family together. Um, so for me at home, for example, I engage, I have three kids, <laughs> three young children. So we engage in a <laughs> lot of <laughs> more informal mindfulness practices rather than formal. Um, but we do things like we'll go for a walk and we use our senses. We love being in nature. So we notice all the colors, all the smells, textures, sounds. Um, we enjoy what we do as part of our tradition is at dinner time, when we have dinner together, we each go around the table, um, taking turns, talking about what we're thankful for that mm-hmm. day. And so what that does is brings attention to that present moment. What was so special about today, right? Uh, because every day can seem, especially during the pandemic, and seem to blur in, right? Right. So by that activity, we're really being mindful and present with each other um, and really reflecting on what's going on for us each day. Um, I recommend it also, you know, another way to do to do this, because I know we're busy, is even having a gratitude jar, right? So, you know, you write something in, you throw it in, something that happened to you that you want to remember that was really special for you that day. And then you can look through that gratitude jar on the weekend when you have the time. So I know families are busy as well. So these are just different ways we can practice, but benefits are really, really rich for every age group. I really like those examples because I think, you know, sometimes when we introduce these new techniques or strategies or exercises, um, for some families who are very overwhelmed, understandably so with everything going on, the idea of learning and taking on something new can feel quite overwhelming. So I love, you know, these examples that you came up with that are really informal ways of just helping our kids from day one start to label emotions, um, connect with the emotion as it's happening at present. Um, you know, with I have a three-year-old with my three-year-old, um, you know, starting even when he was younger as well, when he starts to escalate 
escalate, what I do is just hold his hand and model just taking some deep breaths. And he automatically just starts doing it with me, breathing at my pace. And I do that before I go into any sort of discussion about problem solving or figuring out. We just start with taking those deep breaths. And, you know, the goal is, again, drawing that attention to the present moment and hopefully practicing those skills so that they can, you know, take them on later on and be able to use them later on. I love that example because breathing is so powerful, right? Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I agree with you. My two-year-old has started picking up the breathing. Not always, but the practicing has been helpful mm. and she'll do it. And it's so adorable watching her do that, right? But it also gives us that pause to help her regulate herself as well. And we're doing that co-regulation and we're regulating as well, right? Because sometimes our kids' reactions can be a little bit triggering for us. So it's great on, from many angles. It's it's a wonderful practice. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, the kind of the benefits um, in general, but what sorts of benefits do come from practicing mindfulness? Yeah, so... Uh, First of all, there's there's quite a bit of research now uh, that's showing there's all sorts of benefits for mental health. So uh, it's been shown, you know, a lot of research studies have shown it's a successful approach to help treat people with depression, anxiety, uh, chronic pain, addiction, uh, and chronic stress. Um, there's some really fascinating research on mindful eating as well and how, you know, they've uh, put people, one group was uh, put in a mindful eating group where they practice just being aware of what they eat, being mindful, using their senses when they're eating. Um, and the other group just had that simple nutrition awareness um, uh, program. And what they saw was that, you know, to maintain your weight, the mindful eating is much more effective, right? Because people are becoming aware of what they're putting in their mouth, right? They're becoming aware and mindful and more conscious in that. Um, it also, there's a lot of new research coming out that it really helps with attention skills. There's a lot of great groups that are running for kids with ADHD, for example, to help them tune in more and slow down because sometimes, you know, with, uh, with uh, kids who are dysregulated, who might have more challenges with attention, impulsivity, uh, mindfulness helps them tune in more and be aware when they need that pause, when they need that mm -hmm. movement break. Right. Um, there's also research, uh, not to go into too much detail, but there's a lot of research out there. Um, I really, one of my special interests is research on people with developmental disabilities. Um, and a few years back, I actually ran a group, a program evaluation as well uh, with this group for youth with developmental disabilities and their mm -hmm. parents. And we, um, we ran this group for them and then we sort of asked them what they thought. We evaluated the group um, and it was really, really powerful to see how much the youth really benefited from that ability to start regulating, to tune in and to learn to cope with the stress and anxiety they were experiencing, right? Mm -hmm. so these were youth with developmental disabilities who did have anxiety and stress, right? Um, and so they really found it helpful. And the biggest feedback we had from the parents was we want more of this, right? We want more because we need to keep practicing that. Um, and so, you know, lastly, mindfulness is really powerful for parents as well, um, for learning just to be more aware and in tune with children. You know, a lot of what you're talking about for some of these kiddos with different challenges and regulation difficulties in particular, it can be really 
hard if we're not practicing and becoming aware of when we start to escalate and, you know, when we're starting to become dysregulated. So mindfulness is wonderful for just starting to catch those early signs that we are becoming dysregulated. You know, from time to time, I have the experience with clients where they might try a recommended mindfulness exercise once, and then they're like, this isn't working for me. Like, I don't like this. I don't want to do it again. Um, How frequently would you say we have to practice mindfulness in order to reap the benefits? Such a great question. I I always uh, talk about mindfulness as a skill, sort of similar to physical activity, right? So it's like a physical (laughs) exercise, right? It's a muscle that we practice. So there's no real, if you look at the research, there's a lot of variation, right? There's no optimal length of time. There's research showing that you can benefit if you consistent, consistency is really the key, right? So if I were to jump to that bottom line, consistency is key and more important than how much time is spent. Um, But, you know, it varies from 10 minutes to 45 minutes, right? So we could, you know, if you have the time for 45 minutes, I'm sure you could reap a lot more benefits, but even 10 minutes a day, right? Just tuning in, whether it's formal or informal, um, what the research is showing, and there's also some really fascinating brain research as well and MRI studies that are showing that over time, if you show that consistent practice, um, the way that our um, neurons are firing in the brain, right, so our function and the structure of the brain actually changes over time that we become more more in tune with ourselves, more regulated, um, and less reactive, right? And our areas of uh, emotional regulation in the brain are more uh, sort of in control, where we have more control and regulation, um, if that makes sense. So consistency is really important. There's a lot of research uh, out there on specific programs of mindfulness as well. Um, And they usually run for eight to 12 weeks and they show really significant changes for those clinical problems, right? So when I see clients in a clinical setting for anxiety or depression, um, I would say, you know, typically between eight to 12 weeks is a really good time estimate, but just in general for mental health benefits, you could start seeing improvements with consistency um, and just bringing in even just informal practices. So that's, you know, a good reminder for individuals who are starting out that, you know, it takes a bit of time to get the hang of it and to become familiar with it, just as you would if you're starting a new physical activity, um, and that the consistency is key. The more that we do it, the more that we become familiar, the more we reap the benefits from it. Exactly. Would you be able to talk a little bit more about how mindfulness can be used with special populations? So, for example, you mentioned your work with kiddos and youths with developmental disabilities. How is mindfulness especially helpful for these kids and teens? Yeah, so um, with kids with disabilities, uh, it's really shown a lot of improvements in their ability to self-manage some of the challenging behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, so with these kiddos, uh, one of the things they struggle with is, um, you know, ability to tune in and understand, you know, being in that present moment, being able to express what they're feeling and thinking, right? So by giving them the tools, they're able to express that. Um, but also, 
teaching their parents the tools really has been it's sort of uh, on both fronts right so teaching their parents those tools can be really powerful because then the parents can build that connection and be more in tune with what the needs are of their children right so you know we teach the kids but we also teach the parents at the same time yeah that makes so much sense I think that's such a game changer right like yeah. moving toward responding as opposed to reacting and especially especially for kiddos who may have um, more difficulty labeling emotions more difficulty regulating emotions um, exactly. when they have a calm figure at the other side of that who isn't also becoming triggered and, and getting um, or having a reaction that makes a world of difference in their ability to become more calm and regulated as well. Is there any research that has looked at mindfulness practice among individuals who experience more aggressive urges? Like, would this be an area where it would be helpful as well? Uh, yeah, yeah, um, for sure, for sure. Um, so as I mentioned before, it, it really does help us with that emotion regulation, right? So I see behaviors sort of the surface, right? So what is driving those aggressive urges? What is driving that behavior, right? And oftentimes, you know, we are outside of our window of tolerance where, uh, you know, there's all these stressors that have added up and we have our own, you know, place where we just lose it at some point, right? We can only take so much. And so mindfulness really helps us with that emotion regulation um, by teaching these skills to children and their parents. We're also teaching them to be more in tune with these emotional states, right? And what they're thinking when they're thinking it. And that is so powerful, right? It gives that ability to regulate and control. Yeah, focusing on the emotional experience as opposed to the quote unquote behaviors, right? It gives us a much better understanding of what's going on for that child. Um, I thought it would be really helpful to give our listeners an example of what mindfulness actually looks like. Would you be kind enough to walk us through a mindful practice? Sure, I would love that. Awesome. Um, so I would always start by just encouraging you to get into a comfortable space. I, I'm always very um, mindful. You know, I usually like to close my eyes during this practice, um, but not everyone does. And that's okay. So the reason I encourage people to close their eyes is just because there's so many distractions around us. So I usually go ahead and close my eyes. So I'm closing my eyes during the practice. Just it helps me to ground myself. Um, but if you don't want to close your eyes, that's fine as well. You can just lower your gaze. Um, and just connecting with your breath. And we start by just lengthening your inhale and your exhale. So breathing in through your nose, nice and deep, and then breathing out through the mouth. And what you wanna notice is that you're breathing through your diaphragm, so your stomach should be moving. And one of the things I encourage is you know, if you want to place your hand on your stomach right now and you take that nice deep breath in, you should feel your stomach expand like a balloon. And then you breathe out and feel your stomach come back down. And so taking some nice deep cleansing breath, breathing in, and feeling your stomach expand and breathing out and feeling it come back down. And oftentimes it's helpful as you do these breathing exercises to bring in some visualization. And so visualizing, breathing in, 
some peace, relaxation. Just imagine that peaceful, relaxing feeling, breathing it all into your body. And as you breathe out, breathing out any tension or anything that really doesn't feel right to you, doesn't sit well in your body, if there's any tension. So breathing in nice and deep, that relaxation, peace, and breathing out any tension that might be there. And one more time, just nice and deep breathing in, feeling your body relax and breathing out any tension that might be there. And returning your breath just to whatever feels natural to you. You breathe at least 20,000 times a day. So just being in tune with your breath can be so powerful, so grounding. And as you follow your breath, tuning into your body and any sensations that you notice in your body. Now that you've relaxed your body, there might not be a lot of tension, but just scanning your body from top to bottom, noticing if there is any tightness left over, if there's any tension there. Sometimes we carry tension in our jaw. So feeling if there's tightness there or in our shoulders. We're noticing as we go through this exercise, it's natural to get distracted. If you notice yourself getting distracted, that's okay. Be kind to yourself and with that kindness, just bringing your attention back to your breath and to your body. And I will just take a moment to notice any thoughts or feelings that might be coming for you. So, you know, we might have a lot of different thoughts floating around. Uh, we might have one or two, or maybe not much at all is happening right now. Just noticing and noticing them without reacting to them. So noticing those thoughts or feelings as if they're clouds passing by. So placing each thought and feeling that comes your way on a cloud and watch it float by. And some thoughts might return and that's okay. Just continue to try not to react to them. Just acknowledge them, notice them. Oh, here's a thought, you know, we're bringing curiosity to it and then place them on that cloud, watch it float by. And so when it feels right for you, you can come back to your breath. Notice if there's any changes in your body or in your breath. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes, come back to the present moment.
That was so lovely, Dr. Marina. That um, made me feel like I was in my own therapy session. It was <laughs> really, really nice to just take a moment to be mindful. So hopefully that will be enjoyable and relaxing um, for our listeners as well. Thank you so much for walking us through. Thank you. Just before we wrap up for this episode, I wondered if you had um, three takeaways that you would like our listeners to know or remember about mindfulness. Good question. Um, I guess I'll try to sum it up as, you know, being present and in tune, right, is so, so powerful, right? Being in tune with our thoughts and our emotion can give us that control that we need to take care of ourselves, right, and to step back when we need to, um, not to go to that reactive mode. Um, and when I did this exercise right now, being able to take away that judgment, right, um, and being kind to ourselves, sometimes we will get distracted. And sometimes, you know, we are human, right? We're not going to be present all the time. Um, and in fact, most times we're focused on the, you know, planning for the future, thinking about the past. We're not always in the present moment, and that's okay. So taking away that judgmental place. And, and I guess lastly, just finding, I know, we're busy so I'm, I try to be very realistic you know we, we can't always make the time for formal meditation which is you know an ideal world it's it's lovely to have um, but I think you know even just snippets of it each day or engaging in it in informal ways as well as you know if possible formal ways so there's a really great book for those of you with younger kids um, it's called Breathe Like a Bear by Kira uh, Wiley and I really enjoyed that one because it really has each page is like an exercise in itself um, and it has a lot of visualization for kids so it's engaging right so I say always keep it positive right so if your child is engaged in these exercises you could use the book as a guide there's lots of apps that you can download as well that are really helpful um, to guiding but even just engaging in a very informal way right so as I mentioned before you know bringing in that gratitude each day or even if you go on a walk just using our senses to notice and be present instead of just kind of going into our thoughts and uh, being distracted. Yeah, that's wonderful. Those are really excellent suggestions. And what I like so much about how you're describing it is, you know, you're coming up for these opportunities where we can use mindfulness in our everyday experiences, the drive to work, if we're heading mm -hmm. to work, the, um, you know, standing in the shower and just noticing yes. the sensation of the water, the taking our walk, every day and noticing, you know, all of these different things outside that engage our senses. So, you know, just finding these opportunities to use mindfulness, even if we're not able to dedicate the time to do it formally. So thank you so much, Dr. Marina Heifetz, for sharing this very helpful information with us. It was really wonderful. And thank you. please join us for our next episode as Dr. Marina will be with us once again to talk about this very timely and relevant topic of mindful parenting. So thank you. Thank you so much.